Well, hey, everyone, before we jump into our Ghosted series, I wanted to address something that has kind of been buzzing around our state uh, about the upcoming election that we have here. I know some of you are like, oh, shoot, he's going to get political on us. I just want you to know very, very clearly that we never want to use our platform to try to make you be a Democrat or a Republican or Independent or Libertarian or whatever it is. Um, our hope is to always lead people, to move people towards God and to look more and more like Jesus. But speaking of that, Jesus, to look more like Jesus, he told us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world, but not of the world. To, to not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but to be in the world, though. To be involved, to know what's going on. And so, you know, sometimes when it comes to politics, if you're like me, there's this tension that I'm always managing. Sometimes I'm just like, I got my blinders on and I really don't want to know what's going on. It's like, don't tell me about what's going on in North Korea. Don't tell me what's going on with the Supreme Court or this candidate or this candidate. I'm just going to stay in my lane. I'm never going to make a change anyways. Everything's corrupt and evil. So it's just like, just leave me alone with it. So there's this view. And then there's the broad view where it's like your mind is in every stinking rabbit hole conspiracy theory, which then causes anxiety and chaos and craziness to start to stir in your mind, which then can start to change you. And then people don't even really want to be around you because you're so like this. And so we're constantly in a world of trying to manage the tension. And so maybe you're like this these days and you need to be a little more like this, or maybe you're like this and you need to be a little more like this. And so as Jesus followers, we have a responsibility to push back darkness in our world. We have the light of Jesus. And when we show up to elections and the importance of voting, it is, it's important, especially this election, as there's a proposal, proposal three on the ballot, that isn't even political if you read it. It's actually just flat out evil. And when you dig into it and you see the damage that it does to the future of our unborn children and our born children, it's just flat out damaging. And so you're intelligent. You, you, you have the ability to research. And that's all I'm saying. Just as Jesus followers, let's be involved because we have a responsibility to push darkness back because of the light and we don't just show up to the polls not knowing what we're doing. Like we, we, we take time to educate ourselves and then take whatever's on the ballot and then compare it, most importantly, to if it's God's way. And then we make our educated decisions. And so let's show up. Let's be involved. Let's not ghost the situation. And there's my you know, rant to kind of go into our series, the idea of being ghosted. And when I talk about ghosted, if you've been ghosted relationally, I'm not talking about like ghosted relationally like this. I've hungered for your touch. So not that type of ghosted. We're talking about this type of ghosted. Here's the definition of ghosted that we're going to be talking about over this series, relational series, is when someone cuts off all communication without explanation. Like literally, like when someone literally just cuts off all communication without 
without explanation, they're like a ghost that literally just vanished here today, gone tomorrow. Now, by raise of hands out there, how many of you have been ghosted? Come on, put them up, right? Now, you can put them down, but now how many of you have been the one that's actually ghosted someone? I imagine there's not a whole lot of hands out there, but you know who you are, and we all know the feeling of being ghosted and how toxic that can feel and painful and and just the emotion and the insecurity because it comes out of nowhere and you're left without any rationale of how to move forward, and it just leaves you feeling so just out of place, especially not only that the person's gone, but the virtues that they were giving you or or the emotion that they were giving you of the respect and the honor and the love and the kindness and the compassion is just just, just, just gone. So in this relational series, we're going to be asking ourselves the questions of how do we respond when we are ghosted or how do we prevent ourselves from being ghosted? You know, sometimes we're ghosted intentionally because it's God's prevention protecting us from a harmful relationship. But other times it's literally out of our control. No matter what we do, the person on the other end, we can't control. However, it does take two to tango. We know that it takes two. So we're asking ourselves, what can we do to prepare ourselves when it comes to being ghosted? What can we do on our end to prepare ourselves from not having ghosting situations happen in our lives. Because when it comes to marriage and when it comes to dating, there are things that we can do to prepare ourselves from being ghosted. There are things that we can do so that all of a sudden we don't wake up out of nowhere and we've realized that all of the respect and the romance has just vanished and it's long gone. And maybe for some of you, that's exactly where you're at. You're married and the romance has vanished, it's gone. And it's tough. And it's like the idea of separation or divorce has been on the tip of your tongue or it's already in process. Or maybe you've been recently ghosted in the dating world and you're just, you're just done. You're done trying to put yourself out there and you're just like, you know what? I've had enough. And you've been fantasizing. You've been fantasizing about finding that right person. Or if you're married, you've been fantasizing about finding a different person. And what if we switch the idea instead of fantasizing about that, we fantasize more about becoming the right person. If we asked ourselves this question, we've asked it before here is, am I becoming the person worth looking for if you're single? What if we fantasized over this question instead of, am I becoming the person worth looking for? And if you're married, am I becoming the person worth staying for? Well, what kind of person is this? No worries, because God has given us a detailed description of what that person should be. And so today we're gonna be looking specifically uh, at a portion of scripture that shows us what this should be for us and what it should be for the other person that we want to be in relationship with. But before we dive in to this text, I just wanna pray for you. And pray for me. So Father, help us to be alert, help us to be aware. Uh, God, whoever is listening and who knows what's going on relationally in their dating life or in their married life. And God, I just ask that there would be, uh, that you would just hit each person to hear what they need to hear today to help strengthen their relationships. Pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be chilling in chapter 13. 
13. Uh, some of you, this passage is going to be really familiar because you've heard it at weddings or you have a coffee mug with it or there's a picture in your house or you have a t-shirt. I mean, who knows? Uh, this portion of scripture is given by Paul and it's the applicable process of what it looks like to when Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. This is how love should be demonstrated. This is how love should be produced out of you. And this is the type of love that should be produced out of the person that you're in relationship with. And so here's where it kicks off. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse four, for our love life. Here we go. Love is patient. Crap. Well, there goes your love life, all right? Love is patient. Love is patient. Or another way of saying it is love isn't pushy. That love isn't pushy. Instead of pushing others, love pushes me to give you room instead. Because you don't want to be rushed. Love chooses to move at another person's pace. It doesn't pressure other people to match your pace. Or in other words, love is a decision to press pause, to press the pause button instead of pressing fast forward at someone else's expense. Now look, this isn't natural. Because you know what's natural is your pace. It's my pace. My pace is what's right, not your pace. And everyone should live at my pace. But love does not expect everyone to run at your pace. It's us saying, I will try to speed up and slow down with you. And why do we do this? Why do we actually exercise patience and love towards others? Because that is what God has done towards us. God has accommodated to our capacity like no other. I mean, come on, think about it. He leans in and slows down. The king of the universe slows down to meet us where we're at on our level to speak our language. He goes at our pace. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to even imagine how the king of the universe slowed down for us. To go the distance relationally with someone, we have to exercise that patient muscle. And I'd encourage you, if you're dating, practice it now. Or if you're not dating yet, practice it now so that you can exercise it later in your relationship. Love is not only patient, but it says that love is kind. Love is kind. Or another way of saying this is unkindness is weakness. So unkindness is weakness. So we have to show kindness. Another way of talking about kindness is this right here is kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. It's loaning someone their strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. It's leaning in their direction instead of, oh, you did it again or get it together. How many times are you going to do this? It's doing for others what they can't do in the moment for themselves. Kindness is love's response to weakness. And it's what God has done for you and for me again. While you, while I was still a sinner, God did not put his hand on his hip and say, look at you, you did that again. When are you gonna get that worked out? Call me back again when you get that worked out, then I can talk to you. No, while we were still sinners, he looked through the portal of your life and my life, saw all of our broken promises, and yet he still died and loaned us his strength in the midst of our weakness. Here's a question. What is your go-to response to weakness? When you sense weakness around you, what's your go-to response? And if you're dating someone, side note, pay attention to their go-to in response to others' weakness. Because right now, they're pursuing you. And guess what? They're on their best behavior right now. But over time, they'll start treating you like they're treating others in the midst of their weakness. Love is kind, but it's not only kind. It says this, that love 
does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love allows the other person to shine. Love is willing to step out of the spotlight, even if it's your spotlight that you deserve. Love is not threatened by someone else's success to step out and purely celebrate someone else's success. Pay close attention to your internal reaction to the success of the people closest to you. Husbands, how often are you celebrating and championing and encouraging your wife? Wives, how much are you encouraging and championing your husband? Sometimes maybe, ladies, you might think, well, I don't want to give him a big head. Listen, the world does enough good a job to, to, to take our head down, to, to, to deflate us. Encourage your spouse. Man, I can't tell you how, how, how important and how much it means to me when Jen speaks to me and says, man, I just I love how you led that. I, I, you handled that situation so well. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of how you handled that, that, that situation. It, it encourages me and it strengthens our relationship. And I know the same is when I encourage her and when she does this or when she does that. I've said this before and a lot, this, this line here, assumption is the greatest thief of encouragement. Don't assume with your spouse. Encourage them. Let them know how proud that you are. When was the last time that you encouraged your spouse verbally and just cheered them on? Cheer on your spouse. Then it says, love does not dishonor others. Or another way, it tells us this. It's it's another way of saying, love does not behave disgracefully, dishonorably, or indecently. Love does not create someone else's regret or, hey, or pushes someone to just have another drink. And listen, fellows, if I could just talk to all the guys for a second, do you know how unique we would be in the world if we never dishonored a woman again? Like if we, if we honored women with our eyes, with our actions, with how we treat them, with how we respect them right in front of their face or behind their back, that we would honor them at all times the way that God honors us, we would be the most unique men on the planet. May we be men that honor women the way that God honors us. And also when it comes to honor, if you're single today in the room, you need to hear this. Uh, this also means honoring when it comes to your purity like waiting to have sex or abstaining until marriage. Listen, real romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Let me say that again. Real romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Sex does not make a relationship. It literally just makes babies. Write that one down, okay? Write that one down. In a study, a psychological study, it says that with 2,035 couples, it says that those who have a no sex until marriage principle rated the quality of their marital sex 15% higher than people who had premarital sex. In addition, those who waited until marriage expressed a 22% more stability in their marriages with a 20% higher satisfaction rate. Like in the words of the great theologians of DC Talk, S-E-X is a zest when I'm pressed, so back up off with less of that zest. Impress this mother with a like of virtue. The innocence is spent is gonna hurt you. Safe is the way they say to play. Then again, safe ain't safe at all today. So just wait for the mate that's straight from God and don't have sex till you tie the knot. You're welcome for that. You're welcome for that. But hear me clearly. Having sex before marriage causes so much damage, so much confusion. Here's some of the things. It can cause you to stay in a bad relationship that you shouldn't be in in the first place. 
And here's the other thing. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing that you've heard. It prevents commitment from happening. It prevents you actually getting married. I mean, come on, think about it, ladies. If you move in and now his place is smelling nice and maybe you cook a little for him, not to be stereotypical, or you do a little bit of his laundry and you're sleeping with him, what else does the guy want? And you wonder why you don't have a ring on it yet. He's got everything. Short-term pleasure will rob you of long-term joy. Short-term pleasure will rob you so much of long-term joy. A little bit earlier in this letter, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So glorify God in your body. When you have sex before you're married, you're selling yourself short and you're selling your future spouse short. Taking something from someone that is not yours to take and the jealousy and the pain that it causes for your future is detrimental. And look at I know that you're listening. Some of you've had sex before you're married. And listen, there's grace and there's forgiveness. And you can start today to say that this was the day where I decided to be pure for my future spouse. It's the, one of the best commitments you can make for your future marriage. Wait, it's so, so important to protect your purity. Then it says this, love is not self-seeking. Another way of saying it is love is not selfish. It's putting the interest of others before yourselves. I mean, think about how much this would solve in all of our relationships if we just exercise being selfless. Then it says not only self-seeking, but it's not easily angered. Now, we all get angry, but we all don't get easily angered. The Greek word here is this idea of to stir up, to literally like boil up from a cooking feeling, to boil, where your buttons are getting pressed so, so just much that you just blow up. Love is not being easily angered. It absorbs instead of responding in anger. It also is, keeps no record of wrongs. I've talked about this little idea of where you hold it over someone's head or you carry on a filing cabinet and you have all these records on everyone else, but you don't have a ton on yourself. It's the idea of literally letting it go and forgiving and literally Forgetting, and I know sometimes it's so hard to forgive, but the more that you forgive, even if you don't mean it, the easier it is for you to forget the records that are hanging over your head. Love keeps no records of wrong. Then it says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and it always trusts. It always protects and it always trusts, which reminds me, of a series we did years ago at Miles City in the first couple of years called Guardrails. Guardrails are put in place on the road for a, a very specific reason, right? For you, so you don't fall off the edge. It's there so you don't literally fall to your death. And, you know, now where the guardrail is placed is not necessarily dangerous, but what's on the other side of the guardrail is what's dangerous. But oftentimes, for whatever reason, we as humans, we like to just get right on the edge of the guardrail and we like to like play with fire where we're almost going to fall off. 
And so guardrails sometimes are not necessarily sin, but they're things that we put in place to keep us from falling off the edge. To say, hey, I wanna protect and trust my relationship. I wanna protect and trust my marriage so much that we're gonna put in some guardrails to make sure that if we bump up against it, we're so far from the edge that we're protected. And so the question is, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to protecting it and trusting it, do you have guardrails in place? Jen and I take this very seriously. And the things that we have are not necessarily like God says, I have to do this, but we believe these are things that help protect our marriage. For instance, um, Jen and I do not hang out alone with the opposite sex. Jen doesn't go on a coffee date with another guy. I don't go on a lunch date with another girl. I don't drive alone with the opposite sex. We have kept that guardrail in our lives. I don't have emotional ongoing conversations with with other girls. I mean, I have my family and Jen's closest friends, but she's a part of it. And it's not that I'm afraid of like what that person's gonna do or what I'm going to do. We just wanna just push us off the edge. I mean, uh, Selena is our administrative director here. Been working with her for seven years. Not once have we ever had a lunch date by ourselves or a coffee date on our own. We just keep that barrier because as you know, they say that statistically, the most affairs start by a simple lunch date, by a simple, innocent coffee date. And so again, we're not saying it's like wrong to do. We're just saying we like to put guardrails in place. Like when I take an Uber ride, if all of a sudden uh, the Uber driver is, uh, is a female, do I like have to call another one? No, but what does it do? It triggers me to be like, yeah, I normally don't do this. And then Jen and I talk about that and it just helps set us back. Do you have any guardrails that pushes you far from the edge to strengthen the trust and protection of your marriage? Maybe if you're lacking some trust in your marriage, it's because you don't have good guardrails. Take it seriously, care about your marriage and put some guardrails in your marriage. Then it says this, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. It always hopes and it always perseveres. All oh, the danger in marriage and dating relationships when you just go on cruise control, when everything's fine, everything's good, everything's working. And then what happens is, is we just coast and then we neglect, we get apathetic, we become idle. Just like a car, if, if, if you don't maintain it, then it's gonna start breaking down now. It might be good right now, but if you don't get oil in it, then it's gonna lock up. If you don't get your, you know, your uh, coolant in or if you don't get your antifreeze in, it's gonna get dirty on the windshield. You gotta constantly maintain and keep chasing and pursuing one another. But it's so easy, and man, I'm a roller coaster with this, to delay in the chase, to stop pursuing my girl. And I have to push myself. I come out of like, you know, it's like this roller coaster for me, I, you know, chasing and pursuing Jen and, you know, having the date nights, getting them on the calendar and, and making it a priority. Or you'll just start coasting. And then the next thing you know, you're coasting off in different directions before you even realize it. And that's where some of you potentially are right now. How are you chasing strategically your significant other right now. Here's a question. When was the last time you connected emotionally with your spouse? And if you can't remember, then that's way too long. Or when was the last time you made love to your spouse? If you can't remember, 
And that's too long too. And here's another question. If you have, when was the last time you prayed with your spouse? And if you can't remember, then that's too long. And just know that all three of those things connect emotionally, sexually, and spiritually. When you connect spiritually and emotionally with your wife or with your husband, it literally leads into your sexual life as well. So here's the list of ways that we want to prevent our love life from being ghosted in these specific areas. Here's the list. Now, when you look at this list, you might be thinking, well, shoot, on a good day, I'm lucky to even make like a C minus. But when you look at this list, isn't this what you want? Like, is there anything on this list that you would just be like, I'm okay, I don't need to have? Like, you can take that one off. I mean, I think if we're honest, all of us want to receive this. It's just the challenge of giving it. But remember, Jesus says, look, follow me. Here's the playbook. Here's what we're moving towards. Here's what I'm wanting to produce out of you so that you can produce that into other people. And then he adds this little punctuation in verse 11 to end it. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And then he says this, but when I became a man, when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So in other words, what he's saying is, if you're dating, grow up. Take it seriously. And if you're married, grow up and take these things seriously. I want to complete in you what I've started in you. He who began a good work in you. And come on, man. I mean, my hunch is that all of us would never want to take anything off of that list. And so we got to ask ourselves this question like we started with is, am I becoming the person worth looking for? Am I exercising those things? Where do I need to work on? And am I becoming the person worth staying for? Now, last thing, when we think about this list, you know, it's, when you think about it, it's, it, it's so hard to, to feel like you can attain all this perfectly. Like, and you never will get it perfect. But just a reminder, there is someone that has perfectly modeled every single one of these virtues. And he perfectly demonstrates each one of these to you specifically. God loves you so much. He is, he is, he is always going to honor you. He, he is always going to be showing patience for you and kindness for you and protecting you and not keeping a score, a record of your errors. He's never going to be a God that will ghost you and just leave you hanging. He'll never give up on you. He's always there, even when you can't feel it. He's there and he loves you so much. He wants a real relationship with you. And maybe sometimes you might feel like he's ghosted you, but really, if you feel that, you might be the one who's been ghosting him. He's always gonna bring this to the table. The problem is, is we don't bring it back to him. But if you didn't know, 
God does love you and he doesn't keep a record of your past. He has forgiven it, but you have to be willing to receive it. 2000 years ago, that's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sin, to pay the penalty for it. And then three days later, he rose from the dead because we can't pay the penalty for our sin. There's nothing that we can do on our own. And he made it clear that all who call upon him and believe in their heart that he is Lord, they'll be saved from the penalty of their sin. And so if you have never received Jesus, stop running. Stop not showing up to him. He's waiting for you to show up. And he wants you to be his child right now. And so wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, if you've never received Jesus, you can just pray this prayer to him. Just say, Father, I'm tired of running away from you. I'm tired of ghosting you. Thank you for being a God that's been there and that is showing up right now here in my life. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. Right now, I humble myself and I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that the scripture is so clear that you will not perish, that you will not be separated from God forever, but that you will have everlasting life and your life truly begins now. Father, thank you so much for the gift of knowing you. Thank you for being a God that will never ghost us, that you're always present, that you're always near. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, listen, if you made a decision to receive Jesus or maybe you just have questions or something about your faith journey, you want to encourage you to text the number uh, below so that one of our team members can reach out to you and answer any questions that you have as we all continue to strive to move towards God.